With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran former law enforcement officer and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Well, hello. Hello. How are y'all today? Thank you for joining me. If anybody's out there, I don't even know if anybody's out there. I might be just talking to this microphone. It might be going into the wire stopping at my computer, it hits the internet, and all of a sudden nobody is listening. Ugh, that would be terrible. Terrible. So I don't think that's the case since last week. I think we had over 800,000 downloads, 800 and something thousand. And Sunday's message, uh, 61,000. There's quite a few less on uh, Sundays. Maybe not so many people want to hear some preaching. Anyway, uh, Sunday's when we do a full-on um, preaching message, but it's not the preaching message that you're used to hearing. Uh, it's way different. It's still politically correct. Uh, not it's politically incorrect. And it's, and it's, uh, just kind of in your face, very, very heavy dose of scripture. And I explain it and hopefully you have, you enjoy it. There's 60 some thousand of you that listen and I'm honored to have that. If you want to uh, support what we do here, uh, we would love we would love for you to go to drshawngreener.com or theninjapastor.com and um, you know, click the donate button and get with it because we do all this out of our own pockets. We have some folks that help us on Sundays, which is awesome. They're great people. At our Kehala, that's the other thing. You can listen to me live on Sundays. You can also have me come to all over the United States. I, I go all over. Um, and we. Uh, we do enjoy that. We do enjoy that. We do uh, guest preaching. We do, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And then we do different uh, organizations and corporations, yada, yada. So we talk on a, a whole bunch of different topics. So if you need a speaker, I will be your guy. Go to the ninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com. That's where you can find us. So on drshawngreener.com, by the way, you've reached the collision of faith and politics. That's in case you're just looking for some porn or some kind of thing you're searching the internet 
and you typed in silky smooth voice and my voice came up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry to let you down. That's how our friends to the north say it. Canadians. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Fun with words and dialects. So on theninjapastor.com, and uh, I, I talked about this on Sunday, by the way. I'm doing uh, little by little doing ebooks or books that are electronically delivered. And so we're going to be working on some ebooks. We are also, so where you find out about that, there's two there now, but uh, very brief ones. But then where you find out about that is on drshawngreener.com, D R S H A W N G R E E N E R.com or theninjapastor.com. And so you can, you can go there. And you can get, uh, they're free. I mean, they're free. Now, some some of the larger ones are going to cost you 99 cents. And um, so if you're willing to spend a whopping dollar, then, uh, you know, how about it? We're, we're writing a bunch of them right now. And we are rewriting what I mentioned on Sunday to our audience, uh, live audience and 61,000 people out there, is uh, we are rewriting Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Yes, we are. We're rewriting it, totally redoing it. So it'll be uh, much better. We'll have professional editing and it'll be, it'll be beautiful. It'll be beautiful. You'll want to show all your friends and buy them for gifts for everybody. So I don't know that I'm going to have it finished by Christmas. I won't. So, uh, but in the meantime, we'll be working on this other stuff. So the collision of faith and politics, somebody asked me the other day, so what is this show about? And I had to chuckle because that is a very difficult thing to share with somebody, just kind of off the cup what the show is about. And then I realized, wait a second, you know, that's actually pretty easy. It's, it's a, this is an in-your-face, get real, let's stop talking a bunch of crap. Uh, and people say, you know, well, that preacher says crap on the radio. That doesn't sound very preacherish. Well, I think that's part of the problem. So uh, this is kind of what what our mission is. It's unapologetic truth and solutions every patriotic American can put into practice right now. We're bold biblically, constitutionally minded, and freedom and liberty focused in a sea of soft and fearful whispers while our once great nation burns away. We will provide unabashed, powerful, and life-changing truth in the midst of an ocean of politically correct, anti-Christian, and anti-American rhetoric. Now, see, there you have it. That sums it up pretty quick. Didn't think long. So, what do we have on our website other than uh, ebooks and, and all that stuff and posts and whatnot? Well, what have you? We have, I'm going to say now, probably a thousand hours of uh, of speeches and radio shows and you know sermons, whatnot. So it's all on there, drshongreeder.com. Anyway. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, first of all, you need to understand we uh, we're going to have a guest today that I really like. Um, he is one of the smartest people on the planet. His name is William J. Federer. Did you catch that? Bill Federer, awesome, awesome guy, super smart, uh, really an internationally renowned expert on Islam and true history. He's a true history kind of guy, not a fake, politically correct history kind of guy. So we're going to cover some topics. Now, with him, we're not going to cover all of these. Uh, some will be before, some will be after him. He has some specific things we'd like to talk about uh, that I think you're going to really, really, really be blown away by. One of them is his take on the Colin Kaepernick sitting out the national anthem. You know, there's 
there's other um, NFL players on other teams. And then this is a shock to me. Uh, there, there is a, uh, a Joni Ronesby, I think is her name, um, USA women's soccer team. Uh, she's on the USA women's soccer team. And uh, she sat out the national anthem. But we got high school p- football players all around the country sitting out the national anthem, you know, because we're, we're racist and, and whatnot. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to go into deep detail about that and some stuff that you did not know. I guarantee it. So then we're going to talk about, and, and, and really the premise here, I, I want you to understand the premise, the premise here is very, very simple. You know, what matters to you in this election? What, what is it that matters to you? Does, does it matter to you? I, I guess I shouldn't, I really shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't act like, I don't know. I shouldn't act like it, it matters. Because to tell you the truth, it might not matter to you. You might be, well, it don't matter to me. Why would it matter to me? I'm just going to work, doing my job, trying not to get killed by ISIS. They, see, if you, if you don't even care about the election, you know, this is this is 2016. I, I happen to think that it is the most important election ever in history. That's not hyperbole, by the way. It's I believe that. I absolutely believe it. I, I believe it's the most important election in the history of this country. And ultimately, it comes down to this. If you don't care at all and you, you know, you just think, I don't care. I'm not going to go vote. Doesn't matter anyway. Yada, yada, whatever it is you say to make yourself feel better about abdicating your responsibility. One of your many responsibilities as a citizen. Now I know people that listen to this show, they're plugged in. They're they're fired up. They're ready to go vote. If that vote was tomorrow, you'd know who you vote for. Now I'm going to say this. If by now you don't know who you're voting for, well, that's grim. That's grim. Why? Why is it grim? Because... Here, here's, I'm just going to throw these out there, see what you think. Um, you circle one, if, if one of these is important to you, maybe it's not. National security. Is that important to you? Maybe it's not. I don't know. You know, maybe national security. You're like, hey, I'm safe in my town. You know, maybe the right to keep and bear arms, keeping that right. Maybe that's not important to me. I mean, I don't have a gun. I think guns are scary. Right. So so you don't really care about that. You say, well, police and and military ought to have guns. But I don't think, you know, I had a guy the other day. I couldn't really argue with him because of where we were at the time. Uh, but but I was in I was in, by the way, welcome to Andrea Shaking, the great Andrea Shaking. You talk about a great show. She does. Unbelievable. The content she has in there, it's so professionally done. Um, she has my other good friend on there a lot of times, Elizabeth. Uh, Chris now, but uh, she used to be Letchworth. She's been on the show a bunch of times. Both of them have been on the show, and we're honored to have her listening. It's uh, just a pleasure, just a pleasure and an honor. Uh, so, look, I, let, me, let, me just, let me go back to this. Let me, ju- let me just say this. If, if you're plotting around you know, going to soccer. I don't know what people do nowadays. They go to soccer practice. They go to violin practice. They go, I don't know know if anybody actually takes violin nowadays. Um, But you're doing all these things you're going to, got your kids. Maybe, maybe your kids are grown up. 
and you just want your show to DVR properly. You want to record that. You don't want to miss. I don't know. Whatever else. I don't know what else. Uh, and, and so you, you really, you know, that's what matters to you. And as long as they're not shooting at your house, you don't really care. Uh, but national security is everything. If, you, if you're not secure, you don't take your kids to soccer. You don't take your grandkids to soccer. You're not going to church on Sunday. You don't have that. That's gone. It's over. Strong national defense. I mean, a lot of times people say, well, you know, I, I tend to be kind of laid back on this. I, I don't want to be one of those people that's always paranoid all the time. You know, I had a, a lady, um, I used to have the good fortune of protecting really, really famous people and, and people you wouldn't know, but were billionaires, you know, and all this. And one lady in particular, she inherited billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars from her family. Um, and then there was no other heirs. So she, in, she inherited it. And then she married a man later in life. She married a man who was also the inheritant of a billionaire. He was the sole inheritant and he died. And so she's inherited her billions and his billions. Uh, so she's a billion, 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 billionaires. I mean, she's just billionaire many times over. That's a lot of zeros. Well, she had a state-of-the-art uh, home. I mean, state-of-the-art. State-of-the-art security was installed, sound system. I mean, she had the whole schmear. It was really, really nice. But but she didn't use her alarm or lock her doors at night when she would go to sleep. She didn't. You know, now, I will also say this, that she had multiple homes even in one town. She owned multiple homes that she herself lived in. Now, the poverty stricken, the forlorn, the underserved, all those people, they didn't live there. She didn't invite um, Syrian refugees to stay there. No, I mean, it's her house. Why would she do that? So, but she would not lock her doors. She refused to lock her doors. And she was, she wanted to be known as the nice lady. She rides her bicycle through town. She was a big art patron. So she would, you know, commission artists and try to help them along. And she bought a house and changed it into an art gallery. And, you know, that she's working hard, you know, just working hard, spending her billions and uh, serving the community, you know? <laughs> and so, but she wouldn't lock her door and she, she would leave her bike. She would never lock her bike up. Now, this is a woman probably in her mid to late sixties. Uh, she, she was proudly uh, a communist, she says. And I said, well, well, that's great that you're a communist. That's, that's really great. I don't like that you don't lock your door. It makes it hard to protect you. But I'm just going to say this. You, um, you might think about locking your doors because people like to kill uh, after raping and, and robbing. They like to kill billionaire women that are single and leave their doors unlocked. That's what they like to do. No, they won't. Because if I lock my doors, then I'm opening my psyche. No, my aura. What weird full of crap word did she use? I can't remember. She used some dumb word, uh, some dumb description, you know, that that, you know, my energy, that's what it is. It's my energy. My energy I put off then is just really, um, it's negative and, and that attracts it. You know, the law of attraction attracts what you want. And so that's hard to protect. That's liberal ideology. One of the things we're going to talk about now is liberal speak, you know, what liberals uh, what liberals think. I, some time ago, my my great friend, Jerry, uh, Jerry from Pennsylvania, he, he uh, availed me of a magazine. I think it's, um, I don't even see the title, Limbaugh, the Limbaugh letter, I guess it is. And in the headline it talks about is when you're dealing with the left, you got to listen differently. 
Here's something Barack Hussein Obama, this is from whitehouse.gov. This is not something I made up. 720 of 16, so not that long ago. It is worth reminding ourselves of how lucky we are to be living in the most peaceful, most prosperous, most progressive era in human history. Because the world has never been less violent, healthier, better educated, more tolerant, and with more opportunity for more people and more connected than it is today. Barack Hussein Obama. You know, I'm sorry to tell you, um, I, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but um, the great character J.R. Uh, Ewing on that show, Dallas, remember that? Liberals are talented liars. In the words of, of Dallas character J.R. Ewing, it is all about integrity. Once you can fake that, the rest is a piece of cake. And we look at it much like Russ talks about in this article. We look at the left and we say, wait a second. Uh, I don't really understand what's going on here because uh, they're obviously lying. You know what I'm saying? They're obviously lying. And doesn't anybody else hear this? Doesn't anybody else see this? Am I the only one? How can that be? So he thinks we're safer. So maybe to him, strong national defense doesn't really matter. How about border security and sovereignty? You know, that's kind of related. A little bit. We're going to get a little bit of a cool history lesson today. I don't know how long he can be on, but uh, Bill Federer, come on. There's no better resource than that. Internationally renowned. Expert on Islam and, and accurate history. So there you have that. Border security and sovereignty. Look. Uh, Donald Trump has said this many times, and and um, I have to agree. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. You understand that's how it works, you know. You don't have a yard if you don't have some sort of border. And your neighbor has a a, a yard full of of uh, weeds and you know chiggers and mosquitoes and grubs and whatnot. Look, you don't put some barrier up there. That's what you're going to have in your yard. You don't really have a yard unless you put some sort of border and you have some sort of sovereignty. Listen, if everybody under the sun can just walk across your yard, walk up to your house, go in your house, grab something to eat like this billionaire lady, just go on and get you something to eat. Go on and get you something to eat. The refrigerator's right there. Go ahead and get you some. Hafez comes in and says, I think I would take your neck. It's looking good. You know? No. Which brings me to the next thing. Maybe you're worried. Maybe your big issue this election is Islamic terrorists. Maybe it is. I don't know. ISIS? You know, the president loves to say ISIL, right? You know, every time he says ISIL, he is telling his Muslim friends, you don't exist, Israel. I'm with you, Muslims. That's what he's doing. That's exactly how about maybe your big issue? I let's throw this out there. Just give it a give it a, just a little bit of a whirl. How about your big issue is increasing Syrian refugee resettlement in the United States? All, how, how about this one? How about this one? Not that this would be important. Hey, maybe it is not important to you. Um, Muslim student visa increases. Maybe we should increase that. Now, I, I don't know if you know, but it's increased. I don't know how many percent, but it's a gazillion. Muslim student visa. Now, the folks that were here 
just from Saudi Arabia alone that did 9-11, they were here on student visas. Some of them had overstayed them, but the point is it was a student visa program. And I'm going to tell you something. This isn't about throwing rocks at Barack Hussein Obama. It's also uh, President Bush, number 43, George Bush. He, he increased them. You know, back when he was saying that Islam is a peaceful religion, you guys remember that? Yeah, he said that. Islam's a peaceful religion until a, a black preacher, whom I know, uh, got a hold of him privately and said, Mr. President, you need to stop saying that. It's not true. It's not historically true in any form or fashion. It's, it's not true. No disrespect, Mr. President, but, you know, you're saying things that are incorrect, and we got, i got to help a brother out here because we don't want to be spreading the word that Islam is, in fact, a peaceful religion because it's not. How many of you know that? Islam is not a peaceful religion. So we assume, you know, they want to come over and they want to learn jet propulsion. They want to, they want to learn little things like uh, metallurgy and engineering and electrical engineering. And they want to learn physics and stuff like that. They want to help us. They want to help the world. You know, they're peaceful people. So what do they do? They come over here and they learn. But the other thing, go figure. They seem to love to learn how to fly airplanes. They come to Port St. Lucie, Florida, and they say, hey, that's something I've always wanted to do. I want to learn how to, uh, I want to learn how to land. I want, I mean, I want to learn to put an airplane in. The, I mean, I want to learn to take off in an airplane. I don't need to land. I'm not, you don't waste my time with that. Just teach me how to take, and I want to be able to weave in between buildings. That, that wasn't any big deal. That didn't stick out to anybody. So maybe you're concerned about the Muslim student. Maybe you don't think that they've increased it enough. You know, under Barack Obama, it's increased exponentially. But in fairness, uh, George Bush did the same thing. Not as not as much. And then eventually he stopped. Maybe, you know, I'm throwing this out there. Maybe maybe we're we're just new friends and all. Uh, I, I don't like to refer to listeners of my show as listeners. I like to refer to you as guests. Uh, you're kind of a guest in my home. Black Lives Matter terrorists. Maybe, maybe you're worried about that. I don't know. Maybe you're worried about the fact that a group that starts with the the word black, Black Lives Matter. In other words, nobody else's life matters. No life matters. By the way, there's I did a ebook on that today. You can go over to my website, the Ninja Pastor blog, uh, on theninjapastor.com. You click on Ninja Pastor blog up there at the top, and you can you can this this one's free, and I talk about that. You know, somebody tell me when's the last time that it was okay to put uh, a group of people across an interstate. And they always want to do it during busy times. Put them across an interstate. Block block the interstate. Stop it. And then they would throw rocks and bricks and whatnot and well, what have you. No, I don't have any problem with it. Sure. I mean, that's just the interstate. It's a violation of state and federal law. And if the police officers just want to stand there and look at them and say, hey, you know, you have a right to your First Amendment. Well, you don't have your right to the First Amendment here. You have a right to be a speed bump, a temporary speed bump, a squishy, crunchy speed bump. Go ahead and get in front of my car. I'm not threatening anybody. You stand in front of my car. You stand in front of my car. You're going to get run over by about 6,800 pounds of, of behemoth metal and big old tars. That's what you're going to get because you don't stand in front of the road. Sorry to tell you, I'm not going to let you bash me, bash my head in. 
I'm not going to let you throw rocks at my vehicle. You're not going to pay for my vehicle. Why would I do that? Why in the world would I do that? Why would anybody in their right mind do that? You know, you start running over them, guess what? It's going to stop. They're not going to do it. Because unlike ISIS, they don't want to get killed. They don't want to be run over. Why did you do this? Why? Call the police. I still remember the video of the one, the lady. It's a woman. It's an older lady. And she's like, uh-uh. She slowed down. She backed up. She rolled her window down just a little bit. And she yelled to him, listen, I, I'm not going to stop. You need to get out of the way. And she honked her horn. She laid onto her horn and she drove. She started off slow and picked up a little bit of speed. They didn't get out of the way. They got hit. First thing these goofballs are yelling is, call 911, call 911. I think a dump truck ought to come up. Instead of 911 coming, an ambulance, whatnot, just, just send a dump truck, somebody with a big shovel or, or one of those crane. I'd love to drive one of those. Am I the only one here that wants to uh, drive tractors and cranes and heavy construction equipment like those big bulldozers and stuff? I would love that. I'd volunteer for that. Front-end loader. Just front-end load them right up in there. Lest you think I'm kidding, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Why would a kid about such a thing? Go ahead and do it here. See what happens to you. So maybe you're not worried about the special treatment that they're receiving. Maybe maybe uh, people turn in their heads while they threaten to kill white people. Man, maybe that doesn't bother you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's not a big issue. I know Hillary Clinton, you know, they're her friends, man. They have a legitimate claim. Maybe you're not worried about the uh, weakening of law enforcement. And the, and the uh, you know, egregious murders, law enforcement is, I, I don't know, uh, law enforcement and first responders in general, look, you're, you've never had it worse than you have it right now. I kid you not. You have never had it worse than this. I mean, this is serious business. They're killing them left and right. Left and right. Uh, maybe you're not concerned about the police department, the ones that are going to come to your house and try to save you if, if somebody's breaking into your house because they're busy standing by watching people burn buildings in the city nearest you. Maybe they're just standing there watching watching people set fire to police cars and you know throwing rocks through stores in their own neighborhood. Look, look, I'm going to call it like it is. That's just stupid. That's just plain out stupid. Burn your own, burn your own town, burn your neighborhood. Could you be dumber? I don't think you can. I, I think it's impossible to be dumber than that. Honest to goodness. I really do. I think that's dumb on steroids right there. I'll tell you what else too. You better get second call defense. You go to my website, the ninjapastor.com. Uh, all you do is you go to the bottom. Right there at the bottom, there's a banner and the big red banner at the bottom. You click on complete self protect, complete legal protection for armed self-defense, second call defense. You click on that, you get a month free. I won't be without it. I guarantee you that. New way. Not a chance. There's no way I'm going to be without that. Second call. Yeah, we got people from Ohio. My buddy Steve from Ohio. He has second call. Jerry from Pennsylvania's got second call. Got Wes. Got all these people, man. They're smart. Don't run around without second call defense. If you own a gun, 
I don't whether or not you carry it or not. I'm I'm just saying if you own a gun, you better have second call because your homeowner's insurance specifically excludes anything that has to do with a gun. Hey, maybe you're worried about and I say that, and the reason why that popped in my head is you need to understand. <laughs> Folks, law enforcement is is basically through political correctness made feckless. They're not coming to save you. I did a post uh yesterday, which also includes a free ebook. Go to ninjapastor.com. You'll be able to click on it free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. Maybe you leave a comment. Would that kill you to leave a comment? Maybe maybe you copy the link and you send it to somebody. And you say, hey, you ought to take a look at this guy. That wouldn't kill you. It doesn't cost you anything, but if you'd like to do that, it'd be wonderful and sweet and great. But I but I did a post on it, uh, three hours to die and, and talking about lies. I mean, look, folks, this is the real dealer. This is the real dealer here. I mean, this is, we're no longer in the, you know, pretend that it's not going on the way it's going on. It's going on the way it's going on. And we know that for sure. Maybe, maybe the law enforcement becoming feckless is, is, uh, through political correctness. And maybe, maybe that doesn't, uh, bother you. Maybe it doesn't bother you. Maybe manufacturing. We don't have any manufacturing in the United States. You know, the, the only jobs in the world are not uh, computer jobs, by the way. The only jobs in the world are not teachers or whatever else Barack Hussein Obama seems to value. Community organizers, that's not a real job. Manufacturing. Why are we, Look, I, the other day I was somewhere and I was looking. I'm not going to say where it is. I'm going to give them free advertising. And I look underneath these beautiful chairs. I'm thinking, these are nice chairs. They're comfortable. I'd like to buy me one. These seem like they're good old American made. And I look underneath and it's made in China. We can't even make a chair. What the heck over? Come on now. Can't make a chair. Manufacturing. I got a thing for my uh, aerial uh, camera. I've got a, uh, people call them drone, but they're really, mine is really more of a quadcopter. It has a 4K video camera and, and 14 megapixel camera, you know, still camera, but I do photography. That's what I'm into. So people freak out over there. Oh, I'll shoot that right out of the air. Well, good luck to you. You've just committed a federal crime. Firing a gun in an airborne vehicle that you've now rendered unable to be controlled and uh, you've, you've violated the law. I don't want to see you in your bathing suit either. So if I'm ever, I'm ever in, the, in the field next to your house, no, I'm not looking at you, nor do I want to. But China, made in China, everything made in China, including our food. You know, I'll bring that up. I'll, I'll speak to the elephant in the room. No, I don't want to eat elephant. For Pete's sake, people, I don't want to eat elephant. I like elephants. I'd pet an elephant. I'd ride an elephant. I'm not afraid. I like elephants. Elephants are beautiful animals. They smell real bad. I've seen them in the wild. I've been out there and, and, and woof, woof, strong. But, but, but maybe after we get finished talking to uh, Mr. Federer, maybe, maybe we'll talk about food production here in the United States. You know, we get a lot of food from China. Why do we get our food from China? Vanishing landscapes. We want to have townhouses and shops instead of instead of uh, instead of farms. No farms, no food. So you guys know who Bill Federer is, right? Bill Federer is literally one of the smartest people I have ever met, and uh, one of the most humble people too. And really, really has his ear to the ground as it relates to uh, true history, actual history, not political correct or revisionist history. And the, and the the other thing that he really is great at is helping make folks understand the complex thing in a real simple way. Bill Federer, so good to have you. 
I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show again, and I thank you for being willing to come on. Sean, it's an honor to be with you. Well, the pleasure's all mine, and I know it's it's my audience's. So what have you been doing with yourself? What are you, uh, you got any new books cooking? Well, uh, there is one that is called Rise of the Tyrant, and I finished it a few months ago, and it's a Uh-oh. survey of world history. Uh, had I talked about this before? Um, uh, you kind of uh, mentioned it. Okay. Um, if, if I have, uh, stop me, but, uh, I no, no, no. Tell us be- more. Cause now I want to buy the book. <laughs> um, I go back to the beginning of human writing. And so writing was invented around three or 4,000 BC Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. And I, uh, today that's Iraq. And that was the beginning of writing. And so three or 4,000 BC were around 2080 four to that's around 6,000 years of records and um, 6,000 years is really not that long. It's only 60 people living a hundred years each back to back. So everyone's hmm. met someone who's lived a hundred years, maybe a grandmother. We're talking 60 grandmothers and you're all the way back to the beginning of recorded human history. And so oh, no. the question that I was exploring is what's the most common form of government in all of recorded human history? Well, let's see. From Nimrod and the Tower of Babel in 2,000 years and 33 major Egyptian dynasties ruled by pharaohs, 5,000 years and 18 major Chinese dynasties ruled by emperors, Indian Maharajas, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus of Persia, Darius, Sennacherib of Assyria, Alexander the Great, uh, the Roman emperors, the Byzantine emperors, the Muslim sultans, the African chieftains, the King Kamehamehas in Hawaii and the Aztec Montezumas. And then the king of Spain and France, and then ultimately the king of England. And uh, the most common form of government is a king. And that century after century after century, it's like there's this effort for somebody to be the new Nimrod and want to rebuild the Tower of Babel. And so uh, the empires keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, clearly with a global aspect in mind. I mean, here's Genghis Khan conquered from Korea to Hungary and killed 30 million people. Uh, And so Mm. we see that uh, the British Empire under King George III was the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. And when America's founders had the chance to break away from a king, they decided they wanted to run as far away from a king as possible. And when they had a chance to set up a government, They took the power of a king and broke it into three branches, pitting them against each other. They separated power federal to state level. They tied up this federal Frankenstein with ten handcuffs. We call them the first ten amendments. It was Eisenhower that used that term Frankenstein. He says the federal government was the creature of the states, yet Frankenstein-like, the creature wants to destroy the creators. And so all the Constitution is, in a sense, is a bunch of hurdles to prevent the rubber band from snapping back into the hands of a king. And so they set up a republic. What is a republic? A republic is the people are king ruling through their servants called representatives. And so they're public servants. You hire them, you fire them, you vote them in, you vote them out. In other words, instead of looking up to the president and congressman, they looked down to them. They were the ser- hmm. they were the ones that they hired. And so uh, it was um, Chief Justice John Jay said, the people are the sovereign of this country. Governor Morris, who signed the declaration, said the magistrate is not the king. The people are the king. 
Thomas mm. Jefferson said, the Chief Justice says there must be an ultimate arbiter somewhere. True, there must. The ultimate arbiter is the people. Abraham Lincoln said, the people are the rightful masters of both Congresses and courts. And, um, you know, uh, even um, uh, Omar Bradley, the general, said in America, uh, the people are sovereign. The government is theirs to speak their voice and to voice their will. And so the concept is that the republic is the people are the king. And so when we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands, the republic is a flag with 13 stripes and 50 stars saying it's the people of these states that are the king. And we collectively rule ourselves. And so when someone refuses to honor the flag, what they're saying is they no longer want to be the king. They hmm. want to abdicate the throne. When somebody says, I'm not going to vote, what they're saying is I'm abdicating the throne. I don't want to be the king. Anymore. I don't want to rule anymore. Well, fine. Somebody else is going to rule your life if you're not going to. And so uh, it's interesting. The U.S. Constitution was written. And uh, now I, I want to point out the idea of power concentrating, I believe, goes back to the fall in the garden and selfishness coming into the human DNA and Cain killing Abel and one king taking a kingdom from another king. And so you put some babies in a playpen, one of them will take the rattle from the others. You put some kids on a playground, one of them is the bully hogging the ball. You put some girls in a junior high clique, and one of them is the diva. You put some people in the woods, one of them is the Indian chief. You put them in an inner city, one of them is the gang leader. And all a king is, in a sense, is a glorified gang leader, right? It's very hierarchical. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. And if you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason, or you're a slave. It's like a pyramid. It's very hierarchical. And this is the norm for world history. And you get rid of one king, another one steps in. That's why I'm convinced that uh, God set it up so that death is a blessing. What do you mean? Imagine, I mean, here, I mentioned Genghis Khan kills 30 million people from Korea to Hungary. Imagine if he never died. I mean, Napoleon, six million died in the Napoleonic Wars. Imagine if he never died. And, um, you know, you had uh, Mao Zedong kills 80 million in China. Imagine if he never died. At least these dictators die and people get a chance to uh, have a breather, you know. And um, the dilemma is that each one of us carries the dictator DNA. What do I mean? Well, let's say you get to be the king and you're going to be really fair. And then you have a sister with a teenage son that drinks and drives and parties and hits somebody with the car and kills them. And this teenager is now facing manslaughter charges, life imprisonment, and your sister comes begging to you and says, you're not going to let my little Johnny get locked away the rest of his life. It wasn't his fault. Those other kids talked him into it, blah, blah, blah. What are you going to say to your sister? Uh, I'll let little Johnny off the hook this time, but don't let it happen again. Guess what? As soon as you said that, you are the corrupt dictator. You just sent ripples through your kingdom that if your family or friends with the king, you get special treatment. If you're not family and friends, you don't get it. And if you're trying to unseat the king, he's going to be tempted to shut you up. And so as power concentrates, there will always be favoritism. There will always be corruption. 
Lord Acton said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we're seeing more and more power get concentrated in Washington. And then we scratch our heads and wonder, gee, there's corruption going on with the IRS and the FBI and all these other different things. It's like, duh, as power concentrates, it will be corrupt. And so our founders in America decided to try the opposite, to separate power. Now, a good way to understand the concentrated, separated power dilemma. Let's say you're accused of a crime and you have the choice of going before one unelected judge and take the chances that he likes you, or would you rather go before a jury of 12 of your peers? Now, the jury may make mistakes from time to time, uh, but if it's your life and you've got one shot at being in jail the rest of your life or being free, who would you rather go before, a judge, one unelected judge, or a jury? Well, the America's founder said, look, we tried the, the judge thing. We tried it where every judge in, a, in the country was appointed by the King of England. And if you're a supporter of the King of England, you get the special treatment. And if you're not, you don't. The founders of America said, look, we've tried the concentrated power thing. Let's take our chances with the people. Let's separate the power. Yes, they may make mistakes from now, from time to time, but it's, it's, it's better than the alternative. And if we have enough preachers keeping the people moral, there's a good chance that if you get a jury together, there's going to be some people with some morals there. And so that's the idea that America, we're trusting the people to be the king. And um, unfortunately, we see some trends happening. What's the trend? Uh, Washington, in his farewell address, almost prophetically said how the country would end. In his farewell address, Washington said, usurpation. Now, what's that? That's doing something you're not authorized to do, but people let you get away with it. You usurp power. He says, usurpation, though in one instance is the instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. So in other words, you have some king saying, I want to do something good, but I need a little more power to do it. And so we look at this. Um, there was crises in our country. And so Washington, in his farewell address, said uh, that uh, crises will cause the hearts of men to seek security in the absolute power of an individual who will turn this disposition to his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. And thus, no matter what you call it, it will be a despot, a despotism. A despot is someone who has absolute and arbitrary power. You're back to a king. And so, in other words, it was really good that Lincoln ended slavery. But in the process, a lot of rights were usurped by the federal government away from the states. It was really good that Franklin Roosevelt wanted to get us through the Depression. But he usurps, has the federal government take a lot of power away and concentrates it with his New Deal programs. It was really good that Lyndon Johnson wanted to end poverty, but he concentrates power into the federal government with his great society welfare state. It was good that Richard Nixon wanted to end drugs, and so he had the federal government usurp power with his war on drugs. And, you know, we had President Bush. It was really good that he did not want to have any more terrorist attacks. But the federal government can now read everybody's email, track everybody's credit card purchase, listen to everybody's phone calls. Tremendous usurpation of power. And now we have a new president that says no matter what the crisis is, the answer is the same. Let the federal government take more and more power and everything will be fine. Yeah, except you're transforming your government from the people ruling from the bottom up to a king ruling from the top down. And so anyway, uh, I'll pause there. Does that um, make sense?
Well, you know, it does. And what's interesting to me is, uh, number one, that's totally different than what most people have been taught in their growing up years, you know, their education in the public school system. They didn't hear that. They don't, there's none of that uh, that's ever been uh, shared with them. This is, this is news to them. So most of the people uh, out there are probably, they're mad at their teachers now because they're thinking, wait a second, I trust this guy. I trust Bill Federer and I trust the, the, the ninja pastor, but I, sh I sure don't trust my teachers anymore. But then it's, it's not even really the teachers. It's the administration, the system. Uh, it, it's, it's a system of indoctrination rather than education. So you something you said really struck with me, and, and I want to discuss that just a moment, because you talked about how we are the bosses, in essence, and those that, that work for us in government, all the way up to and including the president of the United States, they work for us. We're the employer. They are the employee. We're the king, and they are the subject. And so now they have to work. Well, uh, the football player, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. He's a San Francisco. I don't know how much you follow football, but San Francisco 49er, really on the downslope of his very brief career. You know, they say the NFL stands for not for long. Colin Kaepernick. Uh, now, Colin Kaepernick, just for some background for, and I don't know if you probably do know who this guy is, but uh, the, the, uh, for the folks out there that don't follow football, um, Colin Kaepernick was raised. Are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Oh, there we go. Colin Kaepernick, uh, he was raised by a white family because he was rejected by his black parents. And they're white. They're they're pretty wealthy. They're uh, really well to do. They've you know he's had the best schooling and the best opportunities. There's certainly nothing uh, that he has done without, including every opportunity for professional uh, physical training, professional football training, all of these different things. He said all this availed to him because, in fact, his parents and his family are white and wealthy uh, because he was rejected. Thank God they took him in. You know, that's poor guy got rejected by his black family. Well, he sits out the national anthem because he says on the downslope of his career, uh, I think it's last week or the week before we had a, a guy on by the name of Dave Perkins. I don't know if you heard of this guy's phenomenal. He's been a friend of mine for a long time, really super smart guy, world traveler. He's, he's uh, really, really a super knowledgeable fella. And, and he postulated that maybe uh, Kaepernick is doing this because he had off-season surgery he cannot throw like he used to. He certainly can't. He's not as durable as he used to be. And he sees his career really going in the tank. And so now he wants to create a situation where it is harder for him uh, to be fired. And, you know, ultimately, this is this is the deal. Um, and I don't know. I don't you know, I don't know the guy's heart, but but I can tell you all of a sudden he is a Black Lives Matter guy. He is he is uh, engaged to a woman who is a DJ. She's a very controversial DJ, Black Lives Matter, Matter leader and Muslim. And apparently he has converted to Islam. So now all across the United States uh, in the National Football League and, and other I mean, we, we have a uh, high school football players now are sitting out the anthem. They say uh, even even a, a USA women's soccer player in the Olympic team, she wants to sit out because she wants to be in solidarity. And she says, hey, you know, I don't want black people to be mistreated, that they should be equal and there's no reason why it shouldn't be. 
And they say we can't stand for an anthem that was in a country that law enforcement keeps unjustly killing young black men simply for being black and nothing happens to police officers. They're still getting paid because they're racist and the system is racist. And shouldn't the Democrat Party do something about this? Uh, well, Francis Scott Key owned slaves. Well, that's the other big thing. Man, we can't sing a song and stand under a flag that he writes this, you know, the national anthem. I mean, the guy was a slave owner. What do you have to say about that? I'm sure you got something to say about that. Democrats were slave owners. Oh, the come Democrat on. The Democrat Party was in favor of slavery. So that means every one of the blacks would have to leave the Democrat Party. Um, Islam was slave. Well, Muhammad owned slaves, which means they'd all have to, Kaepernick would have to leave Islam. Uh, matter of fact, Islam enslaved an estimated 180 million Africans Oof. in the 1400 years of their existence. So they had slavery for eight centuries before America was ever discovered. They were enslaving Africans. So Muhammad was a white Arab, and there are hadiths that these are stories in Islam that uh, Muhammad lifted his arms to pray and they saw the whiteness of his armpits. Another hadith, someone was going on their donkey to early morning prayer with Muhammad and it rubbed up against him and he said, I saw the whiteness of the prophet's thigh. And there's another hadith where some visitors wanted to meet him and uh, they said he is the white man reclining on the couch. And Muhammad owned African slaves like Bilal. And so in Islam, they have one word for African and slave. It's the same word, abd, A-B-D, like Abdullah means slave of Allah. So every African they see, they call him slave. And they enslaved, uh, they would uh, raid the villages and kill the, the elderly and the young, and then they would force the rest of them to cross the Sahara Desert to Timbuktu and the different slave markets, and they would sell them throughout the Ottoman Empire. And uh, they'd castrate the men and make them eunuchs and have the women in sex trafficking. And they enslaved over a million Europeans. And so Muhammad in his um, Quran and in the Hadith that talked about when they would go on their raids, they would kill and then they would take captives and they would hold them for ransom. Sort of like when they took our Americans captive in Iran and our president paid them this enormous billion dollars worth of ransom. And so uh, they enslaved uh, across the Mediterranean. One of the pilgrim ships was captured by the Muslims. Think pilgrim ship? Yeah, in 1620, the pilgrims founded Massachusetts. In 1625, the pilgrims had saved up 800 pounds of beaver skins and sent them back to England for trade. And William Bradford writes in the history of the Plymouth Settlement, he says they made it happily across the Atlantic and were in the English Channel when a Turkish man of war captured one of the ships, took it to Morocco, and sold the crew into slavery. And hmm. then the Muslims raided England. In 1625, they carried away over a 1,000 from the English islands and coast down to Morocco into slavery. Then they attacked Iceland in 1640, and they carried away over 400 from Reykjavik, Iceland. And so there were whole Catholic orders in Europe through the Middle Ages called the Trinitarians, and the head of the order was called the Ransomer, and they would collect alms and donations across Europe and go under a white flag to North Africa to get your friend back. They raided the coast of Italy so much that whole cities abandoned the coast and moved up to the mountains. Uh, there was not a woman of childbearing age for generations along the coast because the Muslim pirates would capture them. In 846 AD, 11,000 Muslims invaded Rome, Italy. And they trashed the Basilica of St. Peter's, and they trashed the bones of St. Peter and St. Paul. It was after that that Pope Leo decided to build the wall around the Vatican, right? And so 
we see that slavery is part of – there's never been so, – so Lincoln was a Republican, and he freed the slaves. Democrats in the Deep South passed Jim Crow laws and black codes and started the KKK. And um, so the Republicans pushed through this abolition. Hold, hold on, hold on, Bill. Bill, did you – who started the KKK? The Democrat Party started the KKK. It's oh, part of the Bill. congressional records in 18, 1871. Are you, are you rewriting history, Bill? Because uh, I don't know if that's being taught in school, Bill. Right. Well, 1871, there was the Ku Klux Klan Act, and our U.S. Congress passes it, signed into law by Ulysses S. Grant. And they document that it's the Democrat Party in the South that started it. And in other words, the Republicans left the federal troops in the South and forced them to give rights to the freed slaves. And the South, the Democrats didn't like this. And so they began their vigilante justice. And then finally, Rutherford B. Hayes wanted to run for the 18th, uh, 19th president. And um, he promised that if the South voted for him, he would pull the federal troops out and end Reconstruction. And they did, and they voted the, they pulled all the federal troops out, and that's when uh, all of the the uh, black Republicans who had been elected to Congress were all kicked out. Um, but, uh, so, uh, so anyway, there's never been an abolitionist movement in Islam. There's never been an Abraham Lincoln. There's never been a war to end slavery in Islam. Why? because Muhammad himself owned slaves. And so to condemn slavery, they would have to co condemn something Muhammad did, and they can't do that. And so, yeah. uh, anyway, so it's important for us to realize there's more slavery today than at any other time in world history, and a whole lot of it is in Muslim countries, Niger, Mauritania, Sudan, and uh, Ivory Coast, Boko Haram, raiding in Nigeria, taking away all the Christian girls, and all our president's wife could do is send out a tweet, bring our girls back. Well, they didn't bring them back. They forced them into forced marriages and so forth. And um, and this is happening in in Syria and Iraq. All these Christians are being wiped out, and uh, and the the women are being made into slaves. So, uh, if somebody is truly against slavery, they should be very vocal about being against what Islam is doing and doing right now in countries around the world. And if I would take a knee, I think I think it wasn't it Tim Tebow that took a knee, except he was praying, and when he took a knee, right. they kicked him out. <laughs> so uh, yeah. if you're going to pray uh, on your knees, uh, bow two knees and pray for the Africans that are being enslaved by Muslims even to this day. Mm, mm, mm. So, so Colin Kaepernick doesn't understand what's going on here. Clearly, Colin Kaepernick doesn't understand reality here because he's saying that I don't, I'm not going to, well, you know, his, originally he started saying, well, I'm not going to stand because I'm not going to stand for a nation where law enforcement is allowed to kill young black men with impunity and they still have a job. It started off as that, but then it, it morphed into the Francis Scott Key. He owns slaves. And so I get, you know, so I guess they can't go to work either because, you know, somebody along the way at some organization has owned slaves. Well, maybe not because um, I don't know anybody in my family and I've researched my, my family history really way far back um, that ever owned slaves. But I do know that uh, people in my, you know, my lineage were indentured servants. So... 
I don't understand. And, and you know, and I, I have a good friend of mine. He, he's so funny. He's a, he's a black guy. And he, one day he, he got on, um, I won't say the name of the site. It's one of these, you know, you find out your, your, your history. And, uh, he gets on the site and he, he expected to be on it for maybe 30, 40 minutes after uh, eight and a half hours. He's on there. And, and I said, well, what in the world did you find out really interesting things? He goes, what I didn't find out is what I find most interesting. I said, well, what didn't you find out? You know, what couldn't you prove? And he said, I, no one in my lineage was ever a slave. No one in my lineage ever came from Africa. We're not from Africa. And I said, well, you know, doesn't that flying the face of your, you know, your people saying that, look, you know, what was done to us was terrible and wrong. And I, and look, I'm going to agree with you. Slavery is wrong under any circumstances. You know, uh, there's a meme. I always like to, to look at some of these memes on, on, uh, social media. There's a guy, it's, it's a cartoon type of deal. It's just four frames and four quotes. I don't believe that women have any rights. And I think gays should be hanged, says the one guy to the woman who's wearing an Obama, you know, t-shirt, uh, some type of Obama shirt. And then she says, wow, what a primitive jerk you are. You must be a Republican. And then he says, no, actually I'm a Muslim and those are my religious beliefs. And she says, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I hope you don't think I'm Islamophobic. Well, no, that's, you know, that's a, that's a great snippet of, of how, uh, we're thinking in America, not just America, I shouldn't say America, but I speak for, you know, my little uh, part of America, but in, in the UK and in France and in Germany, what do you make of these, these leaders there? I mean, they're, they're being overrun and they, they, you well, know, all of a sudden it's a religious thing. Well, it's interesting. Francis got key. Uh, we were fighting the British. The British had the largest empire in the world and they had slavery. Uh, they did not end slavery throughout the British Empire until 1833. Ultimately, uh, they still hung on in some until 1843. And so at the time of the War of 1812, we were fighting the largest power in the world that had slaves. So maybe it was a good thing that we didn't want to let the British win. Um, mm -hmm. We were having a Second Great Awakening revival, and we started – uh, the American Bible Society, the American Tract Society, Sunday School Societies, and we sent missionaries to Burma and the Caribbean and to Hawaii. And it was this second great awakening revival that gave birth to the abolitionist movement. So it was Christians in America that were starting to push to end slavery. And it was a Christian in England named William Wilberforce that pushed to end slavery eventually in England uh, there in 1833. Uh, by the time he died. And so uh situation is that the British, uh, they would incite rioting in, within countries to have a destabilization effect, and then they would come in and take over. Uh, they were inciting the Indians on the American frontiers to uh, kill the settlements. And I mean, in Fort Mims, Alabama, uh, 500 people were massacred and scalped. Um, in 1813 uh, by the Creek Indians who were armed by the British. Um, and so the British were doing the same thing in India. That's how they took over. They would go to one kingdom and give them guns and another kingdom and give them guns and incite them to fight each other. When they beat each other up, the British would come in and conquer both. 
And so it was basically they would do sort of a fast and furious uh, gun running operation. So America did that. Woodrow Wilson would leave train car loads of guns along the Mexican border to help out his gang friend Carranza against uh, Pancho Villa and Amaliano Zapata. And um, and so now we're, we're finding out that here Eric Holder, our, uh, who was at the time the Attorney General, he was doing gun running, uh, fast and furious, giving Amer- American guns to drug gangs. And now we're finding out that's what Hillary was doing, that a whole lot of Benghazi was um, uh, they were wanting to get rid of these kings and presidents so they could uh, have the caliphate and uh, gets rid of Mubarak in Egypt and and um, so they want to get rid of Gaddafi in Libya then they're moving the guns from Libya to Syria to get rid of Assad and um, so what was what Hillary was doing uh, the uh, emails show that the Freedom of Information Act and Judicial Watch uncovered was that uh, Hillary was overseeing a gun running operation that they were moving the guns from Libya through Benghazi over to Syria, and um, the uh, and so this is what the British were doing. The British were wanting to incite uh, these crises in America so they could come in and and regain a whole lot of the. Of the country that they had lost during the revolution. So this is called the War of 1812. The British burnt our White House. And um, and so uh, for somebody to think that we shouldn't have defended ourselves against the British, it's like, hello, um, the, the British didn't have any rights other than you pleasing the king. If you didn't like the king, uh, you wouldn't have those rights. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, so again, we're pledging allegiance to the flag and to the republic. The republic is the people are king. And if you don't like being able to have a say in ruling your own self, then uh, you're going to be ruled by somebody else. And um, anyway, hope that makes sense. Well, it does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. And you know what is, is occurring to me, and I spoke about this in one of my shows, and I, I talk about it during speeches, Um Barack Obama, and, and it's it's on record, it's recorded, uh, audio recording, he's speaking uh, to, right, it's right before he became president, he's speaking to a, an organization, a local or a regional NAACP uh, meeting, and he, and he actually says that, well, um, you know what's really happening is the um, NRA and unscrupulous uh, gun dealers are loading up vans and going into black neighborhoods and they're dropping off these, they're just dropping off. I don't know how they do it. I mean, they just drop these vans off and they drive off. And, and this is how they're fomenting all this violence. In other words, it's not, it's not, uh, that they want to kill each other, you know. No, what what, what they don't want just to kill each other. We're to, doing it. What you just referred to is called psychological projection, and that's when they accuse the other side of doing what they're doing. As it's blame shifting, it's um, where the attacker blames the victim. Um, David Axelrod was the president's campaign manager, and he said, in Chicago politics, we have a tradition where you throw a brick through your own campaign office window and then call a press conference to accuse your opponent. It's a strategy that every kid knows. I'm not the mean one. You're the mean one. Uh, The bully on the playground pushes everybody else around, and when one kid swings back, he says, teacher, he started it. That's why I beat him up. 
Wife beaters do this. The big burly husband beats the tar out of his little wife. Well, you provoked me. It's your fault. Aggressor nations do this, right? They Some little thing, and they use that as an excuse to invade and take over a country. And so uh, Islam does this. They'll come into a nice, tolerant host community and then accuse their host of being intolerant of them and use that as an excuse to stir up and riot and fight. And so uh, the strategy is that uh, what they're doing, they accuse their opponents of doing, and then all of the public attention is drawn toward the opponent. But I want to ca- uh, cause attention to a, a larger uh, two different things that are sort of coming together here. One is a concept called deconstruction. It's a communist tactic necessary to take over a country. It's where you separate a people from their past, get them into this neutral where they don't remember where they came from, and then it's more easy to brainwash them into the future you have planned for them. And so they did this in China, where the Mao Zedong would came in and they killed doctors, lawyers, teachers, anybody with an education, uh, so that they had anyone that knew anything about their heritage was dead. I mean, they trashed museums and 5,000 years worth of Chinese history. Why? So they could have this mass of uneducated young people that they could brainwash into the People's Republic of China. Uh, Pol Pot did the same thing in Cambodia. I mean, anybody that wore glasses, he killed. He figured if they wore Hmm. glasses, they were intelligent, they could read. Until they had this mass of young people that they could brainwash into the People's Republic of China. Uh, Plato talked about this. He says that democracies are doomed to fail because they're dependent on the people having virtue, but people ultimately don't have virtue, so it's going to turn into chaos, and then they're going to beg somebody to come in and restore order, and this guy's going to promise to fix it, but then when the dust settles, he'll usurp power, and he's a tyrant. And he says, how is this tyrant going to stay in power? He's going to take the children away from the families and teach them noble lies. He says they'll teach him noble lies, but the lies help him stay in power. Um, And so we see it's a common core type of thing. You want to come into a country and say negative things about the founders of the country and say, oh, they took land from Indians and they owned slaves and so and the kids are repulsed by them. Now you got the kids into this neutral. They're sort of open-minded. What are all the belief systems out there nowadays? And then you can give them your pitch for socialism or LGBT or Islam. It's a sales technique. If I was a toothpaste salesman, the first thing I would do is say negative things about the toothpaste you are currently using. You're still using that old stuff. It'll eat the enamel off your teeth. Ooh, you're repulsed Mm -hmm. by it. Now I got you into the neutral. You're sort of open-minded. What are all the toothpaste out there nowadays? And then I can give you my pitch for this tartar control breath freshener stuff. And so we see Europe went through this. Europe went from a Judeo-Christian past, right? used to be Catholic, then a Protestant Reformation with Jewish neighborhoods. And then Europe went to a secular neutral with the French Revolution. And Robespierre putting a prostitute in Notre Dame Cathedral, covering her with a sheet, so this is the goddess of reason, let's worship her. And then Napoleon spreads this French secularism all around Europe, and Europe becomes secular. And they cut ties with the Christian past, and now it's anything goes, and the LGBT, and free sex, and anything. And now Europe's becoming Islamic with women being raped on the streets of Cologne and Mohammed being the number one name for newborns in London, Milan, and Brussels. And so we see it's a strategy. You, 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 the whole gay agenda is simply a transition phase to cut ties with the Christian morality of the past, but it's quickly usurped and taken over by Islam. And um, in that sense, the multiculturalism agenda is the AIDS virus of Western civilization. 
What do I mean? If you have a healthy body and a virus comes in, your white blood cells attack it and it maintains your health. But if you have AIDS, your white blood cells do not recognize the threat. It's allowed to come in and grow until it finally threatens the life of, of you and kills you. And so if you have a healthy body politic and you have a group that comes in that says, we want to beat women, marry six-year-olds, do female genital mutilation, and you're going to say, no way, we're not going to allow that here. And you, get, you say, well, you got to let them do it. It's their culture. And it's, the, it's their real, oh, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll let them do it. And so they do it, and they form their communities, and they grow and get bigger. Then they demand that the politics change to accommodate them. And before you know it, they've ended up uh, killing the host culture. And there's 1,400 years of the, the track record of them coming into uh, Christian communities, Jewish communities, um, Hindu communities. And they come in, take advantage of the tolerance, and then they eventually wipe out their hosts and um and so what we see going on is sort of a fusion between communist tactics and islamic tactics and uh and the goal is to uh cause people to disrespect the founders that gave us the country where we have the most individual freedom and opportunity and once we disrespect them we disrespect the flag we disrespect our history we don't value it and then it's like, hey, we're sort of open-minded. We're sort of cut free. Anything goes. And then it's more easy for them to come in and brainwash and, um, uh, and, and push their agenda. So that, that's the first thought that I wanted to get across. And um, there's another one. I don't know if we need to take a break or anything. No, no, you go ahead. Um, the other thought is uh, it's a spectrum of power. One side's total government. The other side's no government. Total government, you get a king. No government is anarchy unless the people have internal morals. But wait a second, why would you follow an internal moral? What would cause you to deny yourself a, a selfish temptation? Well, ancient Israel introduced into the world the necessary ingredient. A God who is watching everyone, he wants you to be fair, he will hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal something, and you know you can get away with it, and then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it creates something in the back of your head called a conscience. If everybody in the country believes God is watching, he wants me to be fair, he's going to hold me accountable, everybody is motivated to follow these internal morals. And you're able to have complete order in society with no policemen following everybody around maximum liberty and freedom and um but it, it only works with the god of the bible an islamic allah god says there's an infidel woman there you can rape her you can steal from this infidel and lie to that from that the god of the bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you but let's say you get rid of this god then all you have is rules why follow them some will out of tradition and culture or whatever others are going to say forget this if there's no god this life is all there is and they're going to yield to their human tendency of selfishness and begin to rob and steal and smash windows and have mobs in the streets and set things on fire and there's going to be total random violence and killing and everybody's going to say government please step in and restore order and the government will come in and go house to house and collect everybody's guns and yeah they'll restore order but when the dust settles, you'll have fundamentally transformed your country from the people ruling themselves back to a king. It seems so we've we heard see. a lot about that, you know, fundamentally transforming America. That was a big that was one of the big you know, it's funny listening to you talk 
uh, and I know that, you know, this might be occurring to other folks too. When you give the background, the dirty background of the whole communist Islam connection and, and all these other things and some of the, like the van, you know, leaving the, you know, I, first of all, I want to know where this van is leaving guns because I, I'd like to get there before the neighborhood folks do uh, in the bad neighbors to look at each other. But that is that was a strategy from way back that was deployed. And yet a lot of like you said, uh, it's projection. A lot of what we hear from Barack Hussein Obama and really and truly um, Hillary Clinton has taken this up too. Uh, they they're just basically taking bits and pieces out of the past hoping that their co-opting of the American education system and, and polluting of that, um, the revision of history, they're hoping that that's all in place so that we don't know what the truth is anymore. Uh, Andrea Shea King is one of our, our, our great friends, and uh, she has an incredible show um, on Block Talk Radio as well, just real well with it. Um, she puts the report from Iron Mountain is that a, did you just mention that or something? I mean, she's got that with a question mark here and I'm not sure. Are you looking for that or is, or is that something linked in some way? She'll give us the information where, when will this book, the rise of the tyrant? Now you've, you've whetted my appetite, brand new book by William J. Federer, rise of the tyrant. When can people get that? Oh, right now. Yeah. My, my website's AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com, And you go there and, um, there's the link, um, uh, who, to a DVD called Who is the King in America? And then the book Rise of the Tyrant. And um, it is uh, an overview of history. And again, it shows how unique our form of government is. Now, I um, uh, mentioned um, uh, different efforts of people to want to concentrate power. And uh, one of them is Machiavelli. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if, if I have a, a time to go to, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You have all the time you need. All the time you need. So 500 years ago, Italy was a bunch of city-states, a, a nobleman's republics, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, Siena, and they all had armies and navies and fought. And Machiavelli thought, you know what, if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end because it'll stop this infighting, that any means necessary to get there is justified. Light, cheat, steal. So if a prince conquers a city, they would hate him. But if the prince pays criminals to kill cows and burn barns and create crisis and domestic terror, the people will cry out for help. The prince will come in and kill the very criminals he bribed. Nobody would know the better for it, and they would praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house and set it on fire, and then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher, and they'll pay anything for it, and thank you for being there. So it's called hmm. Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on crises to consolidate control. Well, now hmm. that uh, influenced someone named Hegel, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. He lived in Germany, Prussia. And when Napoleon conquered Prussia so easily, the king said, we can't let that happen again. We need to strengthen the state. And so Hegel said, the state is God walking on earth, and he wants to strengthen the state. Well, how does he do it? It's called Hegelian dialectics. It's sort of Machiavelli, but even more detailed. It's a triangle. Hmm. One corner is a thesis. 
the opposite corner is an antithesis, and the top corner of the triangle is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. You start off at the first corner, then you create the opposite. You create an antithesis. In other words, you create a problem that's real bad, and then everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad. And then that synthesis becomes the new thesis, and you have another crisis that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad. And you keep doing this over and over again until the people move from ruling themselves back to a king. And so this inspired Karl Marx. Karl Marx says, how do you create a problem that's real bad? You send in agitators, agent provocateurs, provoking agents. You send in community organizers and labor organizers. Their goal is to create a crisis, to find the people who have grievances. And you stir them up until there's rioting and bloodshed and killing and violence. And then everybody is happy to have someone come in and restore order. So 45 countries felt the communist dictators this way. And so they would send in their organizers and they would organize the proletariat against the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners. They'd organize the uh, Muslims against the Christians, the Catholics against the Protestants, the, the Hutus against the Tutsis in the Congo and Rwanda. They really don't care what the issues are. They just want a crisis. Like David Horowitz said, the communists, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. They really don't care about Confederate flags and statues of Andrew Jackson and the Star Spangled Banner. Their issue is they want to have a destabilizing crisis. They want domestic chaos that is so bad that everybody begs the government to come in and restore order. And so anyway, Hegel – now it works best if the people are not Christian. Even mm -hmm. Napoleon said religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich. So if you have poor people that are Christian, they'll forgive Right, Because Jesus says, do not take offense. Jesus says, you'll be forgiven only to the extent that you forgive others. And so the idea of, I'm offended, I'm going to fight back, uh, that's not a Christian response. Who was offended the most? Jesus. Here's the Son of God, and they whip him. He's totally innocent. What did he say? Father, forgive them. So the Christian's premier example is Jesus is forgiving those who have offended you. You don't fight back. And so the whole idea of I'm going to fight back, that is an anti-Christian idea. You can only get offended if you have pride. Uh, humility is the opposite of pride. And so when uh, – and you know they, in Islam, they call it honor, but it's really pride. You've offended me, and uh, I'm going to fight you instead, rather than forgiving. Um, so uh, Hegel. So we talked about Machiavelli. We talked about Hegel. Well, Hegel's concept influenced Saul Alinsky. Who was I was thinking Saul? I was thinking that's it's got to be related somehow. Well, Saul Alinsky was in Chicago and he apprenticed by riding around with Al Capone's hitman, Frank Nitti. Hmm. And so how all you had to do was kill a few people, smash a few windows, and the whole neighborhood would submit to the mob and pay extortion protection money. And so Saul Alinsky applied this to politics. And he says that this is a quote from his book, Rules for Radicals. Matter of fact, Hillary Clinton did her senior thesis at Wellesley College on Saul Alinsky. And mm -hmm. our president was a Saul Alinsky community organizer in Chicago. So this guy influenced the politics that we have today. Saul Alinsky said this in his book, Rules for Radicals, which, uh, by the way, he dedicated to Lucifer, 
I was at the Republican mm-hmm. National Convention. Ben Carson's a friend of mine. We were on the board of Regent mm-hmm. University together for four years. And Ben Carson is giving his address there at the Republican Convention. He says, we have two different candidates. You know, one believes in God, and the other one follows the rules for a book that's dedicated to Lucifer. That's right. So the book, Rules for Radicals, the first page, Saul Linsky dedicated it to Lucifer, to the first uh, radical who rebelled and won his own kingdom, Lucifer. So here's what Saul Linsky wrote. The organizer's first job is to create the issues or the problems. The organizer must first rub raw the resentments of the people of the community. An organizer must stir up dissatisfaction and discontent, fan the latent hostilities of many of the people to the point of overt expression. The organizer polarizes the issue and helps lead his forces into conflict. He must search out controversy, for unless there is controversy, the people are not concerned enough to act. And so the politics being played out on America is to want to stir up racism, is to want to stir up class warfare, is to want to have really bad crises. Why? Because in the crises, everybody is going to want some strong government leader to restore order. And when they do, uh, you fundamentally transform your country from the people ruling from the bottom up to a king ruling from the top down. Wow. And so we see in America what's happening. We see more and more crises. We see Occupy Wall Street and Ferguson and Baltimore. And it's clear that, you know, they send in Al Sharpton, who's intentionally, you know, stirring up and agitating. And the president is very adept at giving speeches where he um, will uh, put rhetoric out that actually helps to continue the racial uh, tensions. And and so we see that uh, the more there are crises – the more that rights are surrendered. I was talking to Ed Meese, former attorney general, and he said that when they have their riots in these cities, then uh, the Department of Justice and Loretta Lynch uh, and Homeland Security, they come in and they say, we are going to have oversight over the local police departments to make sure there's no racism. Well, what does it mean having the federal government have oversight over police departments? Police departments are bottom-up, they're local community elected positions. But when the federal government comes in to give oversight, all of a sudden it's a top-down control. And what happens is that they uh, have these crises in Baltimore and Ferguson and all across, and these local police departments are surrendering their uh, autonomy to the federal government, in a sense, giving the president a standing army. And so what happens is if there's more crises and more killings, you're going to have a sit-in in Congress, and they're going to say the president just needs to act. He just needs to take away these guns. And so he's going to say, okay, Department of Justice, Homeland Security, and all the police departments that you've now taken control of, go get the guns. And some people are going to say, no way, you're not going to take my gun. They're going to shoot back, and it's going to start this domestic chaos. And then how are you going to have an election in the middle of all this mess? And maybe it would be an excuse for the a suspension of the election. I don't know. I pray that I'm missing something and I'm wrong. But we do see that there are some uh, lots of Muslims being brought into the country and being spread out to cities all around. The people are not asking for them. They're not assimilating. Uh, and there's more reports of mosques being armed and um, with special basements and special closets and machine guns. We see in Europe they're raiding mosques and finding all kinds of caches of weapons in these mosques. 
And so mm-hmm. uh, we've had uh, our uh, law enforcement officials, they'll be tracking criminals, and if the criminal starts walking into a mosque, they've got to turn off the camera. I was talking to Phil Haney. I, I had dinner with him at the Values Voters Summit just uh, last week. And here, this person was told by the government to um, do research on terrorists. And he comes out with three mm-hmm. years' worth of research, and it's finding all these Muslims that are networked together. And what does our federal government do? It destroys three years' worth of his research and then files charges against him saying he was racist. And he's like, look, I was doing what you told me to do, right? And so the government does not want to have people be aware of the fact that we're letting in people who have a agenda. Uh, and it would be a very simple stretch to think, okay, if a signal is given and they begin to have uh, these domestic disturbances in all these cities, then it could be um, an opportunity to say, well, we need to suspend the election, maybe like a Reichstag event. Hmm. So, uh, and I know you have to go, but uh, I, I, somebody like you, a resource like you, on the uh, when I have you on the line, I, I always want to ask for our listeners, and I refer to them as guests. But um, if you were president and right now, um, you were president, what would you do? What would your what would your maybe first three, first five things? What would you do? Uh, I'd stop funding ISIS. <laughs> okay. I mean, here we good are. Step. Uh, we, we rush through funding to train good Muslims to fight bad Muslims. And as soon as they get armed and trained, they turn around and join ISIS. It's like, duh, we didn't right. see that coming. And yeah. then we uh, let Muslim generals go from Guantanamo Bay in, in exchange for a defector so they can go over and lead ISIS. And then we pull the troops out of Iraq and Afghanistan and, and Syria and so forth. And we leave the bases filled full of weapons so now that they're armed. And where was ISIS getting? Where's ISIS getting its money from? Oil. They've taken over Syrian oil uh, deposits, and our president refuses to bomb the oil refineries that the ISIS controls because he does not doesn't want to cause an environmental crisis. Here, you're letting ISIS continue to be funded by this oil, and oh, I don't want to find, and and, and uh, our quote unquote allies uh, that are you know Arabia and so forth, and they're actually helping to support uh, the fundamentalist Muslims, and um, and so there's this rhetoric. Uh, Susan Rice was micromanaging the the airstrikes, giving the enemy a week's notice before we would bomb buildings so that we're bombing empty buildings that's why this war has been dragging on so long i mean eight years it's it's uh that that's probably the longest america's ever been in any war and it's still going on you I mean we can't win that uh there's either the lack of will or uh this is an intentional thing and so that's one of the things i do is is to stop funding isis um and then um it would be uh uh the, the 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 president has allowed uh, the Center for Security Policy has identified um, Muslim Brotherhood connected people that are now in leadership in the Pentagon, the FBI, the Homeland Security, the CIA, uh, and they've become entrenched. And so uh, that's something that would need to be reversed. It'd be very difficult. Um, but uh, anyway, um, I could go on and on. Um, I would also um, realize that uh, I would begin educating the youth that if they like the freedom to decide what they want to do with their life, 
Um, that doesn't come easily. In most of world history, people have not had the chance to choose where they want to live, uh, who they want to marry, uh, what job they want to hold. Uh, in, in Egypt, the Christians in Cairo are called garbage people. They're not allowed to hold a job higher than a Muslim. And so the, all they have is these menial jobs, and they're digging through garbage to make a living. Um, mm. And so in America, you can decide what you want to do with your – you're not limited by – if you were born in India in the lowest caste called the untouchables or Dalits, you would have to take care of the garbage and clean the toilets. And no matter how good of a job you did, you could never graduate and become a Brahmin. They're near divinity in the cultural mm. strata there in India. Uh, and, but in America, you're not limited by what c class you were born into. You could start humble, and you could end up being successful. Uh, if you're a Christian in North Korea and you're caught sharing the gospel, you'll be tortured in a labor camp the rest of your life. Uh, you, in America, you've got the freedom. You can talk to whoever you want, right, at least for a little while longer. Um, and so I would educate uh, the kids that these freedoms that you have uh, are not universal, um, you know, uh, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, she was very proud of helping to write the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, and uh, these are rights that all the United Nations agreed upon. Uh, but they didn't mention the rights coming from a creator. It was just rights that everybody agreed upon. Well, guess what? Mm. Uh, one of those rights was you're free to join a religion, you're free to leave a religion. Women are equal to men. Well, as time went on, Muslim countries joined the United Nations, and they started their UN inside the UN. It's called the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, 57 Muslim countries inside the UN, and they formed their Cairo Declaration of Human Rights, which supports Sharia, where women are treated as second-class citizens, and if you leave Islam, you get killed. And so they are very wealthy because of all the oil, and they're exercising their clout inside the UN, and they want to push their agenda uh, uh, where you don't have these freedoms to leave a religion if you want to leave it and so forth. Um, so I, I would educate the young people that if you like believing what you want to believe and marrying who you want to marry and dressing the way you want to dress, uh, you've got to appreciate the origins of our country and not throw the baby out with the bathwater and not say, well, we're just going to get rid of everything the founders did and uh, you know, it's, we're going to maintain these freedoms. No, you're not. You're going to have mm. domestic crises and you're going to have a, a more and more excuse the government's going to come in and, and usurp power. Mm. Wow. Well, I, I know that uh, we'd love to have you as president, that's for sure. We know with your list of friends and, uh, and, and the things that you've accomplished, you would be uh, a very, very welcome addition. So we, uh, we appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purchase your book. As soon as I finish the show today, I'm going to purchase your book, and I'm going to encourage everyone else to purchase your book. It's Rise of the Tyrant. It's a brand-new book by our guest, William J. Federer. And I'm, I'm going to say this to you, folks. I have several other of his books and DVDs. I'm telling you right now, uh, there's no fluff in his writing. It's, it's, uh, it's really fact-based, but it's I find myself chuckling sometimes the way you put things, but um, – it's much like your speeches. And folks, if you have an organization, I know uh, Bill travels all over the United States speaking and uh, you can have him there. You go to, it's a, uh, what is the best website for them to go to for that? 
Um, well, I only have one, and it's AmericanMinute.com. And uh, my contact now that's information... that's one where you can subscribe, right? You can subscribe and get a a, a you get a little uh, inbox, little quick little. It is like a minute. It takes like a minute to read, and uh, fascinating history. I mean, I learned stuff on there. I, like I said, I never learned in high school and or any other kind of school. So it's really worth your while, folks. AmericanMinute.com. That's great way. <coughs> Excuse me. Great way to learn our actual history, because the fact of the matter is we've been deprived, uh, really deprived, our, and, and, and the history has been revised by this political machine that is the American public education system. Well, Bill, I know you have stuff to do. We so appreciate you coming on, and, and uh, you're certainly welcome anytime. Love having you. Please uh, give my regards to your family, and, and we look forward to, to having you on again. Well, thank you, Sean. It's been a tremendous honor, and uh, again, AmericanMinute.com is my website if anyone wants to contact me. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, folks, there you have it. You know, you can you can go lots of places and get good information, or you can come here and get the best information, the true information. And that ultimately is the deal. Um, you know, what a guy, man. And, he, and all this stuff, he doesn't even, he doesn't even look at anything. He's, I've seen him give speeches. A 90 minute speech is two hours, never a note. And I fact check it. I, I look it up, you know, and, and it's just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. So, so we left off so that the book, you want to get the book, I'll leave a link to it on my website. Uh, Rise of the Tyrant. It's a brand new book by William J. Federer. Hey, real quick. Um, I can't get through all these. Uh, remember I stopped at food, uh, food production here in the United States. You know, China's poisoning us. We know that. They poison our, our dogs and our cats, and, you know, they send us poisoned, not accidentally poisoned food, literal melamine, uh, literally poisoned food. I mean, this is what they did. This is what they do. This is what they're about. They hate us, and they're going to they're gonna kill us. But now we're relying, and, and this is, you know, and I said this at the beginning, this really is, uh, what are your issues in 2016? What are your big issues for this election. I said national security, strong national defense, border security and sovereignty, Islamic terrorists, ISIS, increasing the Syrian refugee resettlement in the United States. Maybe you want that. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think you should do it. But maybe you want to increase Muslim student visas since 9-11. Yeah, we've actually increased them. Black Lives Matter terrorists, maybe that's something that matters to you. Wages, jobs, security, job security. I don't know. Shouldn't that be something important? I can't make things important to you. I, you. You make it important to yourself. How about the extreme danger law enforcement is in? How about manufacturing? Can we make anything in the United States anymore? Can we make anything in the United States anymore? Uh, and then food production. You know, look, folks, I'm here to tell you. They, uh, I, I'm going to tell you something that I, I think maybe it'll shock you. Maybe it won't. I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to tell you this right now and right here, right now. Um, other countries don't care about us like we do them. Other countries don't care about us like we do them. It's a fact, folks. The Chinese people, they don't care about us. They are raised. They're, they're born and raised. They're born and raised to 
to hate us, just like uh, Russia, you know, uh, look, they, they hate us. They just hate us. So uh, maybe maybe a strong and effective military uh, and, and veteran program, maybe maybe our active duty military, maybe, maybe one of those things for you is that. Hey, we want a strong and effective military. We want, we want our veterans to be treated better. You know, I talked about uh, Colin Kaepernick, and, uh, and, and, and Mr. Federer was, was wonderful to, to share with us his feelings on it, and it was really quite revealing. Uh, but I'm going to tell you this. This suppressed millionaire, this NFL quarterback, raised by wealthy white people because his black family rejected him, so he doesn't want to stand for the national anthem, but I'm telling you, there's a picture uh, of the extortion 17 um, when the uh, flag-draped caskets were coming back from extortion 17. When so many of our brothers were, were killed at one time, Navy SEALs, DevGrew, um, and others. And um, I, just, I just, you know, the flags, is the photograph is of the flags, and the flags are being cleaned uh, on the caskets. They're tightened up. You know, out of total respect, and and the question is, please point out which of these guys are black, so we can remove the offensive flag. And I I know a a, a family that was a gold star family that was impacted by that. The Michael Strange Foundation, Charlie and Marianne Strange, and my good friends Angie and um and Sean, they are they are they work so hard, they work so hard for them, and so they're doing uh, their big thing is healing the family. And so they're doing a beef and beer fundraiser Friday, October 28th, 8 p.m. to midnight. Now, I've been to this. I actually did the opening prayer for the last one. And it's super fun. I mean, it's 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 a real good time. Um, I, I have a I, – I was really, really – it was a little bit of a ride, but it was it was really worth it. So it's this beef and beer fundraiser Friday, October 28th, uh, and, and that's 8 p.m. to midnight. Um, I will say this. The time flies by. It really does. $30 for tickets. And look, the tickets cost $30, but maybe you want to give a little bit more. I don't know. So for a good cause. And here's what they do with it. They do these things. I've spoken at their, um, their retreats for Gold Star families to help them heal, to get them together with others. Because the government's not doing it. They're not doing it. So where is this? Frankfurt Avenue in Philadelphia, uh, St. Dominic's Church, Marion Hall at 8532 Frankfurt Avenue. It's the 19136 area code. So you've all heard of the guy, the man with a thousand voices. Uh, he's a comedian, Joe Conklin. He'll be there. He's hilarious. With a bunch of surprise guests. I'll I'll probably, I'm almost going to bet I'll be there. There's going to be dancing. It's going to be great food. Last year, the food was off the chain. Uh, if you imbibe in beer, they'll have beer, sodas, water, you name it, tea. Somebody made tea last year. You know, that's Northwestern. Philadelphia, and I'm going to tell you right now, whoever made that tea last year must have been from the South. Uh, it's just uh, just crazy. But um, but the proceeds benefit Healing the Family Gold Star Retreat, and they're going to kick off a fundraising campaign to build a memorial wall for the 289 Pennsylvania heroes who lost their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, here's what you do. You just call 215-983-4470. 215-983-4470. The Michael Strange Foundation is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization. So uh, welcome to so many others. Blues Unchained, Christian Lifestyle Radio, Steve from Ohio, um, 
Andresha King. We've got some great people uh, in chat. Chat is a cool thing. I don't get to mess with it as much as I'd like to. I'd like to have a lot of conversations there. Um, but so, so my bringing that up, the beef and beer, somebody's asking me now, well, why do they have this? Well, I, I hate to tell you this, but you think that the American government, the government of the United States of America, the people that, that work for us, remember, we're the kings, they're the workers. We've forgotten that, just like Bill Federer just said. We're the, we're the kings. We're the ones who work for us. You know, We don't work for them. They work for us. Well, they're not taking care of our veterans, and they're not taking care of our blue, uh, you know, the people who are overseas, or not just veterans, they're active duty. They're not taking care of them. They're not doing right by them. But the gold star fangs, holy moly, man. How do we treat them? I mean, we allow our government to mistreat our veterans and our gold star families. I don't, I don't know how they do it. And, you know, uh, I'm going to say this. There's a meme. I love this. Uncle Sam's misguided children. Uh, United States military, United States Marine Corps. Uh, that's what it stands for, but it's really cool. Um, I, I'm going to say uh, that some of their posts, you know, if you're real sensitive and delicate, then, you know, maybe, maybe their posts aren't for you, but I'm going to say this. There's a meme with a uh, Sergeant in the Marine Corps, one hash mark, lots of medals, lots of ribbons. And, uh, and, and he, his job, obviously, here is he's at a funeral for a uh, fallen. And his job is to hand that folded flag to a, a Gold Star family. Those who would disrespect our flag have never been handed a folded one. And I'm going to tell you right now, you know, this Kaepernick guy, uh, and there's been a lot of backlash. Even, um, gosh, I can't remember her name. She was in the movie. The other woman, Kate Hudson, maybe she's a famous model. Uh, she's a real famous model, and she and but wow, she really came out and lambasted Colin Kaepernick and all the others who aren't standing for the for the national anthem. I really, really was amazed to uh, to hear that. I, I couldn't believe it. I read her. I read her quote, and she put it in writing and everything. I mean, it's really something. So, if you've never been handed a folded flag or you don't know somebody directly that has, listen, folks. That changes your perspective really quick. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I am not a guy, and I'm very hawkish. I believe the best way we win, honest to goodness, I believe the best way we win is to overwhelmingly destroy the enemy. Um, you can you can not like that. You can say, well, that's mean. That's, I don't know, very not preacher-ish, whatever. They don't call me the ninja pastor for nothing. But You've got, if you're going to be at war, you've got to obliterate, just like uh, Bill Federer just said, you know, we could win this war in, in a couple weeks. No offense, but we could, but we don't choose to. We, we have all these sensitivities. Well, our enemy does not have those same sensitivities. In fact, our enemy really exploits our sensitivities. We're just soft. We're soft and we're whiners. We whine, not all of you guys. You guys are tough. My guests on this show, that's why I like to call my listeners my guests. I feel like you're in my home with me hanging out. We're just having a little bit of latte. No, we're not. We're not having a latte. We're having real coffee. Pumpkin spice latte, though. That's pretty good. My son's got me hooked on that. Thank you, Doyle. Appreciate that. Um, one more thing. So maybe your issues, we're talking about issues. What's your issue or issues? What's the big issue for you in the in the election? Uh, 2016 election, healthcare and health insurance. Look, I, I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask you something. 
be real. All this was a lie. Everything about you can, if you want your doctor, you can have your doctor. Um, you know, your costs are going to go down. Everybody's going to get it. Nobody's going to be excluded. No matter what your health, blah, blah, blah. It was all a lie. Yet we've sent no one to prison. No one, including Barack Hussein Obama. No one, including uh, Nancy Pelosi. We've Nobody's gone to prison for lying to the American people and hijacking one-sixth of the United States economy. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you that they knew, they knew, absolutely knew that it would fail and it would collapse our, our health insurance system. They knew it. Remember what Mr. Federer said? He said, you know, they want a crisis to result. They want a crisis to result. Um, I'm, I'm going to buy that book that, um, my good friend Andrea Shea King, it's the Iron Mountain, the report from Iron Mountain. It's on Amazon. If you if you, you Google that, uh, you're going to get, uh, you, you'll get, you'll go right to it. And uh, I'm going to order it right after the show. Yeah, one more book. Like I, this is 5,289 books I have now, not counting electronic books. So maybe if it's electronic, I'll, I'll buy it on that. So I don't have another book, you know, physical book lean around. I like the book to be in my hand though. And I love the look of books. Anyway, that's my problem, not yours. Maybe it is your problem. You're like, mm, amen, brother. I can identify, preach, you know, that type of thing. So uh, my good friend, by the way, my good friend Steve from Ohio, uh, he, um, I, he posted this on chat. I'm telling you, if you're not on chat, you, you miss out. I don't advertise chat enough, but it is really cool. I love, you know who has a vibrant chat? My friend, Andrea Shea King. Uh, sometimes I slip into that chat uh, when, when I have some, some time and I pop in there and man, that's a vibrant chat. It's they're fired up. Everybody's fired up, you know, really, really interesting stuff. So, um, I don't get to, I don't get to type in it too much while I'm doing the show, obviously, but, but I really enjoy it and I enjoy seeing the comments. Well, my buddy, Steve from Ohio, I love football and boy, I know he loves football. Uh, I love football and I'm not watching any games and not buying anything that is advertised or endorsed by NFL or its players. Until they rectify this. Yeah, the Colin Kaepernick thing. You tell these people, look, you, you know, you want to be ignorant, you go ahead. You go ahead. But guess what? You're not going to get paid. Because around here, we stand for the national anthem. Anyway, so so maybe, maybe one of your issues is Hillary Clinton's allergies. I mean, pneumonia. I mean, whatever. Is this a vast right-wing conspiracy against her? Or is it another? You've heard of this disease, truthitis. Look, she knows she's seriously ill. She knows she cannot adequately perform the job of president of the United States of America, but it's not about serving for Hillary. It's about having that portrait in the White House. It's about that portrait of the first woman president being her. That's what she wants. She doesn't care. She, she only has to make it to president one day. She only has to serve one day, and then she was president. First woman president. That's all she cared. She didn't care about serving you. She didn't care about any of that. She just wants to be the president. So there's a guy by the name of John Gaultier. He's a um, he's a Facebook friend of mine, but he's a really smart guy, and he posts some really crazy smart stuff. And he posted the following hypothesis regarding – I don't want to read it verbatim because I don't want to misquote him. But anyway, 
Um, Bin Swanger's disease. Does Hillary have Bin Swanger's disease, BD, also called subcortical vascular dementia? It is a type of dementia caused by widespread microscopic areas of damage to the deep layers of the white matter in the brain. The damage is a result of the thickening and narrowing atherosclerosis of arteries that feed the subcortical areas of the brain. Atherosclerosis, commonly known as hardening of the arteries, which, by the way, you won't get that if you take enough ester C into your body. One to 5,000 uh, milligrams per day is minimum. If you don't get that, then you're going to have hardening of the arteries and you're most likely going to have um, all kinds of stuff. My, I'm betting on, as, as is Blues Unchained and many others, I not only bet Hillary Clinton has Parkinson's, I also bet that Bill Clinton also has uh, Parkinson's. I believe he does it too. If you watch some of the video of him, he has a left-hand tremor and a right uh, hand tremor, the 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 two uh, the the uh, ring and pinky finger on his right hand also tremor. His whole hand on his left side tremors, but his right two fingers, the last two fingers, they definitely tremor. Uh, so I would not be shocked if if both of them have Parkinson's. Wouldn't that be something? So this hardening of the arteries, a systemic process that affects the blood vessels throughout the body, begins late in the fourth decade of life and increases in severity with age. As the arteries become more and more narrowed, the blood supplied by these arteries decreases, brain tissue dies, crisis, uh, characteristic pattern of BD-damaged brain tissue can be seen with modern brain imaging techniques such as CT scans or MRIs or magnetic re resonance imaging. The symptoms associated with BD are related to the disruption of subcortical neural circuits that control what neuroscientists call the executive cognitive functioning, short-term memory, organization, mood, the regulation of attention, the ability to act or make decisions and appropriate behavior. Now, a CoQ10, absolutely. The really good stuff. You take CoQ10. Um, hey, Andrea agrees with me. Thank you, Andrea. I think he does too. Um, of course, I just said that. But uh, if you agree with me, that makes me way smarter. Um, so <clears throat> here's the thing. I, I'm going to confess something to you. It's not confess. It's not like I did anything wrong because of my car crash. Four years ago, I was in a car crash, 92 miles per hour versus 51. I was going 51. I was hit head on. I went from 51 miles per hour to zero in seven feet, massive deceleration trauma. I bent the steering wheel with my mouth. Uh, it was pretty brutal. Uh, massive damage to my spine, shattered my left shoulder, blah, 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 blah. Lots of other stuff. This massive dislocations and terrible. Broke 10 teeth. It was just a bad deal. Well, one of the things I got out of this deal uh, was a pretty serious brain injury. And the brain injury is not going to go away. It's going to get worse over time. And so these, you hear me mention CoQ10, like my buddy Steve and um, from Ohio and, and uh, Ester C, vitamin C, and these other things that you can do to help well, those are some of the things that you can do. These are these are real things to help. Uh, but 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 if she has this, she's too far along. It's <clears throat> she's not going to reverse it at this point. Uh, but I have a lot of those things: short-term memory, organization, mood, regulation of attention. But for me, uh, also, uh, this resonates with me, and this is the reason why. Even though it was only eighty degrees and uh, nice breeze and low humidity, that's why the heat got to her so bad. It's because Hillary, I'm talking about at the nine eleven. Um, uh, you know, the, the memorial, I don't, I'm not sure what they called it, but the, the gathering there is because they, if you have a brain injury or a neurological problem, most often you're going to have, you're going to overheat um, and, and uh, you're not going to temperature regulate. And I do that. I do a little bit of exercise, man, oh man, 
I am on, on fire. And I start sweating and I can't cool off and it's terrible. It's just a terrible, terrible thing. So that's part of what's, you know, I suspect is going on with her. Uh, psychomotor slowness, an increase in the length of time it takes, for example, for the fingers to turn the thought of a letter into the shape of a letter and a piece of paper. I will sit and look at my hands. Um, I, a good example. It, let me give you this. Uh, I, I, you know, this is, uh, this is just me being real with you. Now, don't get it twisted, people that want to try to victimize me. I'm 100% disabled. But believe you me, I can draw on you and hit you twice before you can even think about harming me. So give that thought up. But if I'm trying to open small things, the the little, you ever been to a place? I hate that they do this. I want to just give you a little thing of um, half and half or milk or whatever. But for your coffee, it's those little things that you peel off the little top. Well, I have to put that in my left hand, collapse my hand around it kind of gently and take my right hand and pull it off. It's very difficult for me to do. And uh, it sounds stupid, but this is kind of what it is. The thought of a letter into the shape of a letter on the piece of paper. Well, I struggle with that too. Uh, other symptoms include forgetfulness, but not as severe as the forgetfulness in Alzheimer's disease, changes in speech. Now, I struggle in my speech. If you could have known me before, uh, you, you, would, you would notice the difference between my speech now. Uh, also, I yawn a lot. I'm in terrible pain all the time, so I, you know, I don't sleep very well, but I yawn a lot more than I ever did. And I'm clumsy. I fall down a lot. I've fallen down the steps 11 times at my house. I fall out of my truck, uh, all those different things. Um, but, but there's some mood changes too, like uh, apathy, irritability, depression, uh, all that stuff. And then there's urinary systems. I haven't experienced that, but, um, you know, Hillary, it's, it's believed that she has a, uh, a catheter. And, and the, when you have a brain uh, event, a brain damage uh, situation, you a lot of times will develop that. Um, and, and so they can look at, they can do all the different imaging and reveal the brain lesions, 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 uh, and that that's what they'll do. And there's no treatment, um, people with depression and anxiety, what they'll do is they'll take antidepressant medications such as serotonin, serotonin specific reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs, citrulline or, uh, citalopram, um, antipsychotic drugs as risperidone and olanzapine and all these other things, um, I'm a big fan. You know, you can be mad at me if you want. Um, I believe that cannabis should be, um, you know, in Israel, they're, they're, they're investigating cannabis in such a way that is changing lives. Thousands of lives every year are changed uh, by it, and, and people's lives are being saved. Um, no, I don't think everybody should go down to the corner and buy them some weed and prevent brain problems or prevent, um, you know, uh, whatever else, uh, cancer and whatever else, but you know, if medically supervised and, and all that, I think is, is phenomenal. I think it's ridiculous that, that we make that. So there's no cure, but I think that that would be helpful. So it's, it's a progressive disease. There's no cure. The changes could be sudden. They could be gradual. Now, uh, you think about now she's never liked, I, I'm going to be honest with you on this. Hillary Clinton has never liked the American people. Uh, I know people that have protected her in the Secret Service, and they absolutely hate her guts. They hate her guts. Say she's the worst person ever. And they always say to me that the, the next to the worst person, it's, a, it's a, like a big race for who is worst, Hillary Clinton or Michelle Obama. And uh, and I can tell you that, that um, look, you know, they're, they're not good people. 
and they and and, and Hillary Clinton w- would have never been a good person under any circumstances. Neither would Bill. Uh, but you know they want you to think that so they can get elected. It's about power. It's not about anything else. Now somebody asked me the other day, and they said, you know, gosh, what if this is true? And I said the best thing to happen for the world is is for her to die. Uh, they they absolutely need the world needs to be rid of people like this. Um, and I'm going to say this, you know, without any problem, uh, no trepidation, that the world is better off place without them in it. They're murderers. They're absolutely murderers. Uh, but I think the other issue that Hillary and Bill have is a little disease I call truthitis. It's terrible. It's curable, but it's terrible. Hillary has the worst case ever of truthitis. She lies about every single thing ever. You, you, nobody could ever trust her under any circumstances, yet she wants to be president. Now, I don't know about you, but that's got to count for something. You know, but we allow these people to lie to us because we're afraid of them. You know, I'm not afraid of her. Really? People end up dead that go up against her. Blues Unchained says it's a uh, situation is so sickening and horrific. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So here's my thing, everybody. Look, we're, we're at the end of the show, and, and I only have a, a couple of minutes left. There's a couple of things I would encourage you to do. Number one, go to the ninjapastor.com, the ninjapastor.com. Follow me on Twitter, at the ninjapastor. But the ninjapastor.com, drshawngreener.com, that has all kinds, a thousand arrows, probably a thousand hours of, of, um, of material, speeches I've given all across the country. I'll come wherever you like. Wherever you like, I'm glad to come. And... Uh, we're, we'll be more than happy to come speak at your organization. And um, look, this is America, and I love America. I still get tears in my eyes and tears stream down my face when I hear the national anthem, when I see the flag. And, and I do that because I have been very personally connected to the cost of maintaining that flag flying. Long may she wave. It won't wave based on the wind. It'll wave because of the breath of the many who have died defending her. And the fact of the matter is, folks, if we allow the left to speak louder and stronger and more forceful than us, then that flag one day will grow limp. And you know what? It'll be taken down and it'll be burned. Not by punks who go to college and think they know everything. Think they always know more than what we know. Think they're better than us. No, it'll be taken down by our enemies called Islam. And it'll be burned. The difference is they'll wrap that flag around some innocent LGBT or or politically correct puke from some college somewhere, and they'll they'll wrap it around them. They'll douse it in gasoline. They'll set them on fire while they're alive. You see, that's reality, folks. I know it's gritty, and it's tough, and nobody likes to hear it. But this is an enemy which we cannot deny. Black lives matter equally. I'm telling you, equally a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Centerforselfgovernance.com. Centerforselfgovernance.com. If you're in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you need to go to centerforselfgovernance.com. Click on your state. Click on Delaware. You can come to Delaware's classes. Next week, the great Mark Herr will be here. You've got to go. You've got to go. It will change your life. It is the way to fix everything. Everything. Thank God for our our guests, our audience. Thank you so much for taking the time. If you do me a
the doctor, go to Dr. Sean Greener, go to the blog there, uh, share that link uh, for the blog post for today's show all across everywhere you go. And, um, you know, I really, I really, 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 really appreciate you doing that. It really matters to me. And the, the great notes that I get are wonderful, but I need you to share the, share the post, share the, uh, share the links and get people involved and, and turn them on to this show and what. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www. DrSeanGreener.com In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.